Good morning, everybody. We're grateful to God today, and I really want us to take a look at the Scripture closely this morning. If I could just say, by the way, of getting started here, these are going to be very important passages today. And I have really looked at them and wrestled with them for the last few days. And I'll just say this, my heart trembles before God at the reading of them and the considering of what it is God is doing in our lives, both yours and mine. If you could turn in your Bibles or your electronic device to the first letter of John, chapter 5, and we'll be starting at verse 1. While we're doing that, I just want to pray for us. Father, I thank you that the entrance of your word brings light into our hearts. Lord, and I am praying today that the light of the scripture and the light of the truth of the Bible will enter the hearts and minds and the souls of everyone who's in this service this morning and those who will listen to this message by podcast or by website player, Lord, that somehow the word of God will captivate us and capture us In ways, Lord, we have not been captured yet, Lord, that a depth of truth will go down inside of us and build a foundation of faith. Lord, the Bible says in the book of Romans, chapter 10, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I'm praying today, Lord, that the word of God will produce a faith and a belief in you that will stabilize us and make us strong in the world. Lord, that we will go out into the earth full of the power of the Holy Spirit under the dynamic of heaven, anchored in the truth of the scripture. Let that light enter us today in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Amen. And so we have been preaching through the book of 1 John for a while now, and there has been a strong emphasis on the love of God, that we love God and that God loves us. We are both the object of God's love and we are the channel also that God loves the world through. And we looked at some critical scriptures last week, and there was this one that stood out in chapter 4, in verse 17, where he says, by this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. And there's this profound statement, because as he is, so also are we in this world. As Jesus Christ lives and exists, we also live for him, and are like him, and represent him in this world. And what that means is, is that when you came to Jesus and were born again, his spirit was set inside of you, and the likeness of heaven entered you, and the effect of God began to be worked through the channel of your life. That we met God and loved God, God filled our hearts with his love, and now he's working out through your heart and through your life into the world to show the world who Jesus is. The only Jesus people are going to see is the one you're living. The one you present, the one you demonstrate, the one you reveal, not just in your words, but in your deeds, in your actions, and your ability, even in adverse moments and difficult moments, to act like God would act. And it dismays the world. It it puts the demonic on notice that they are not in charge. Right? The Bible says in the book of Ephesians chapter 3 that the church displays the manifold wisdom of God to rulers and powers. What does that mean? It means that when Jesus Christ gets a hold of your life and enters your heart, you begin to send them a message. You no longer belong to them, and you are no longer like them. 
and that the ways that they work in the world, they do not have the ability to do that to you. And they do not have the ability to put that in you and that you are resisting them because you have joined yourself to Christ and now Jesus is here living his life in you, through you, into the world and telling the world there is a God. His name is Jesus and you can see him in the way we behave. You can see him in the way we love people. You can see him in the way we love God and resist evil. We become a statement of God's reality by how we live and how we exist in the world. I see all these debates online where people are debating religion and these phony Christians and there's all this yuck going on. And I sit in here and I think to myself, the problem with all of this dialogue is, is a lot of these people in these debates and these scathing comments have never had to face the fact of a reality of God. All they have seen as people debate about it, but they've not seen somebody live it yet. And furthermore, they've not seen somebody demonstrate it yet. Because this becomes a dead point when God shows up and does something man couldn't have done. This becomes a moot point when God shows up in your heart and reveals himself in a nature that evil doesn't know anything about. Recently, I spent a couple weeks in Europe with my wife, Andrea, and we went to several cities. The way God's power moved in those cities, in those churches, was astonishing at times. The Holy Spirit came through the power of God and did miraculous things over and over again to the point that anyone that was there had to accept the fact that someone greater than us is moving right now and doing something that man cannot explain. The confrontation of the reality of God hit the room and judged evil. Evil spirits and evil power lost their grip on human lives and had to be driven out and they had to give up their host. They didn't have a choice. They had to give up the people they held in bondage. The spirit of God should live in us, wants to live in us. Jesus wants to live in you and take up residency in your life so powerfully that wherever you go, evil has to deal with the fact that someone greater than it is here. Christ in you, the hope of glory, is living in the world as you walk around on this planet that Jesus in you is confronting the darkness in this world and is saying to it, you have to bow in the presence of God and surrender the people you've held captive. Jesus living in you that strongly that when you are in situations where people are confused, the word of God comes out of your mouth and brings peace. When people are struggling, the love of God comes out of your heart and shows somebody that God loves them. That when people are in darkness, when you speak the word of God, the power of God falls on it and begins to liberate them from the confusion and the mess they're living in and set them free. This is what salvation is intended to be. Hallelujah. This is what salvation is intended to be, as Jesus is. What did Jesus do? The Bible says in the book of 1 John, a few chapters back, the Son of God appeared that he might destroy the works of the devil. For this reason, this purpose, the Son of God manifested. Jesus came to the earth. He brought faith to the earth. He confronted darkness, demanded that it give people up, and brought the power of God upon men and women, brought the love of God to people, rescued people out of evil things, and connected them to heaven, and changed the course of world history. And the Bible says, as Jesus is, so also are you in this world. In other words, the mission Jesus died at the cross, he just passed on to you when he rose from the dead. 
Jesus had died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven. He sent the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit would live in you and fill your heart with a thing called love and the power of God would take up residence in your life and keep the ongoing mission of Jesus Christ that he surrendered at the cross would now be given to you and would live in your hands, in your feet, in your mouth, and in your heart, and you begin the next witness, and you become the next manifestation of Jesus Christ. He went from walking on the earth with a human body to distributing himself through the body of Christ all over the world, and this is why he said, it's better for you that I go away, because if I go away, the helper will come, and he will come and help you be like I am and you will be joined to me, and I will live in you, and we will do this work together until I return. This is what salvation is. I want to say this to you. This is what it is to be saved. Now, you may not get on planes and be a preacher and go around the world, but you can go down the street and tell somebody that God loves them and begin to see love melt down the walls of darkness and deception that are living upon them and living in them and hold them captive until faith arises in their heart to believe. And at that moment, the faith breakthrough comes and you are able to pray with people, bring them to Christ, bring them into the kingdom of God and set them free of the lie of hell. And I tell you, I want to see people set free of the lie of hell. Hell's lie is a cruel lie. It's an evil lie. It's a destructive lie. And it takes men and women and their children and seeks to drag them into the pit of hell and to sell their soul off into darkness. And I hate seeing it. I'm like, my God, Jesus died and rose from the dead because he loved the world. He did not want to judge the world and leave it in death. He wanted to rescue it and bring the power of God upon it to set it free. You could say amen to that. And so whenever you get born again, the mission of Jesus becomes the mission for you. When you truly meet God, his mission becomes your mission. Why? Because when you realize how much he loved you and what he did for you, you cannot help but love him back. So let's take a look at chapter 5, verse 1. And we're going to cover a few verses quickly and get to the main verse, which is verse 4. But look at this in verse 1. He says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. I want to say this to you. You cannot be born again if you do not believe Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God that came to save the world from their sins and to set them free of sin's power. When I believe that Jesus is that God, then I can be born of God. And this is the next thing that happens. When I become born of God, I love the Father. Why do I love the Father? Because the Father sent his Son to rescue me, to bring me into his family. I love God. How many of you would say, I love God? I love the Father. How many of you admit that today? Abba, Father, the spirit of adoption is crying out of my heart. I used to be the child of the devil. I used to be sold into hell, and God came and reached in to the world out of eternity and found my sorry, sick soul in the deception it was living in and said, I will choose you in your sick state. I will choose you and bring you out of the power of hell into my family and make you my very own son through my son, Jesus. Do you understand that's what's been given to you? That God reached out of eternity into this world in all of its sick, dark state and found you squalling there in your sin and in your death, 
and laid hold of you and said, you belong to me. Come with me. You are now my son. You are now my daughter, and you no longer belong to the corruption of the earth. You are now my beautiful child, and you will share eternity with me. I love the Father. Well, listen to this next statement. Whoever is born of God and loves the Father loves the child born of him. So I have five children, and it would make me very sad as a father if my daughter said, Dad, I really love you, but I hate my brother. If Stephanie said, I love you, Dad. You're my father, but I can't stand Daniel. I'd say something's wrong. If Daniel said, you're my dad, you're my father, and I really love you, but I can't stand Andrew, I'd be troubled. Because I'd say, wait a minute, if you really love me, you'd love the child born of me. Right? And so on. I want them to all love each other. Because if they love their mom and dad, they should love what we love. They should love who we love. Because we love all of our children, I want all of our children to love each other, realizing they are all loved by us. And that they love each other. And that we live in a thing called a family. We're a family of people who loves one another who loves our parents, who loves our children, who loves our brothers and sisters, and we live in a thing called the kingdom of God. Families are not supposed to be a dysfunctional mess. They're not supposed to be. We're all supposed to love one another, and I want to say this to you, that cannot happen until God gets involved. And I want to encourage everyone in here, build your life on Jesus Christ Build your life on the love of God in relationship with God, and God will put love in your house. I determined something as a young man getting started in Christ. I wanted to have a future and a family where people loved God and loved each other. And if you're just coming into this now, or you're coming back to it now, believe God for this to happen in your family. Believe God for this to happen in your marriage. Believe God for this to happen with your children, that your children will love God, that they will love you, and that they will love each other. The worst thing I can do to my children is not love my wife. The worst thing I can do to my children is to not love God. Because as soon as I sow the unbelief of love and faithlessness into them, I begin to corrupt them and get them to believe a lie that it's okay not to love. And then the next thing that happens, they don't love each other. And this next point is really important. If I love the child born of God, then I observe his commandments. I don't know if you understand this, but out of the Ten Commandments, six of them had to deal with how you treat people. Four of them had to deal with how you treat God. It's four and six. The lion's share, the number of man, six, is how you deal with man. Love comes down oftentimes to keeping God's commandments regarding how you love somebody else. And so the Bible says, I keep God's commandments, and they're not burdensome in this verse. Listen to that. By this we know that we love the children of God. How do we love God's other children? How do I love my brother and my sister? I'm grateful that I'm God's child, but do I love God's other children? I'm grateful that the Father loves me. I'm grateful that I love the Father, but do I love God's other child, Jason? Do I love God's other son, Mark? Do I love him too? I mean, if I love God, do I love Mark? God's love for me is great, but I also have to remember that God's love for Mark is great. And so if I love the Father, then I love the people the Father loves. So if I love the Father, I love the Father's daughter, Korah. And I love her because I love him. Because I love him, I love her. Which means I don't want to do things to her that are mean. 
I don't want to do things to her that hurt her. And let me say this to you. All sin is mean and hurts people. Sin is mean. Say it with me. Sin is mean. Saying ugly things about people is mean. Talking behind their back is mean. Gossiping is mean. Hitting them is mean. Yelling at them is mean. Being cold and indifferent and silent and going inward and denying your love is mean. It's mean-spirited. And so if I love God, if I say that Jesus really is the Christ, then I love people. I'm born of God. I love the children born of God. And when I do that, I keep God's commandments, and they're not hard for me. I said they're not hard for me. You know why they're not hard for me? Because the nature of sin that's mean has been changed through the gospel. And the power of God has entered my heart and changed my heart and said, Tom, guess what? I'm not a mean God, and you cannot be a mean son. Come on, when I got saved, God said, you have to stop being cruel in your nature. You have to love me and love others, and that's how you know you know me. And so when all of a sudden we get born again, and people we didn't love before, we now cry over. And we give our money, and we give our time. Why do we do that? Because love has entered our heart, and we love the child that belongs to God, even when they don't know him yet. The love of God has filled my heart even for the lost children. So we observe his commandments, and they're not a bummer. Can I say something to you? Serving God, it's not a drag. When I love God, loving people, keeping God's commandments towards people by treating them well shouldn't be a bummer. And whenever I'm tempted to think that, I should recognize that my heart's not right. Whenever I have a bad attitude about loving people. My heart's wrong. And I need to realign myself with God and say, Lord, this isn't who you are. You love these people and I should love these people. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Why are they not that way? Because in salvation, you get the Holy Spirit come into your life and living in your heart. The Holy Spirit living in your heart gives you the ability to be like Jesus with it not depending on you alone. You have help from heaven. You have divine spark. You have divine breath living in your lungs, living in your life. You have the Spirit of God initiating the nature of God all day long. This is why worshiping God this morning is hugely important. We need to disconnect from the power of the world that's draining us of God's love and God's grace and making us become like it again and get back into the presence of God and into the life of God so that we can live like him and bring his ways into the world, which means we love people and we love loving people. You know what I loved about yesterday, by the way? We had a work day. And what blessed me more than anything was the love I saw working. Yes, the wreaths went up and the Christmas lights went up and the sound panels went up. God bless you, Greg, Gilbert, Mark, and Mike putting the Cat 5 cables and people were cleaning and Angelo was vacuuming. and I mean, everyone was working and Berto was uh, vacuuming and people were cleaning and uh, Carol and the crew were working on the kitchen. It was, it was awesome. Ben was out there getting rid of the cobwebs. This is... The, the quickly the stuff I noticed, but what was going on is everyone was smiling 
enjoying great burritos, <laughs> coffee. But there was love here. There was love working together. It was like we loved God, we loved each other, and we loved what God had given us. And it wasn't a burden. If I could just pause on that moment. Sometimes I look around, and I hope we can see it. I am grateful for what we have together as a family. I am grateful for what we share together as the church, as this family. We have something from heaven here. We have the presence of God. We have the love of God. And we have one another. And all of you are hugely valuable and important to God. And your future is too. And we're believing God together for one another And it's not a burden. It's a blessing. I love to be able to pray with my friends. I love to be able to encourage them. I love to have coffee with them. I love to talk to them, have prayer in the office or around the building or around town or have them at my house. I love that. Why? Because we're having something from heaven together that's a rare thing in the world. It's rare. The world does not know these ways. The world does not know what it's like to live in a family where there's real love, real submission to God, real care for one another, and we're never a burden for one another. That doesn't mean we don't get tired at times, but we don't go to the place of saying, I'm done with you. I don't want to serve you anymore. I don't care about you anymore. No, it's not burdensome. Probably went too long on that statement, but I can't help it. I long for the day where the church grows and it's not a burden to serve. It's not a burden to love. It's not a burden to give because we've been so enriched by heaven. But we need to get to this next verse. This is very important. This is a powerful statement that probably would take years to unpack and we're not going to spend years, but we need to look at it. Verse four, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. One of the biggest statements made in the Bible. Now, I want to say this to you with all earnest. The point of your salvation is to overcome the world. You entered into a relationship with God to believe in him so that the world would no longer be your master. It would no longer be your governor. It would no longer dictate what life is to you. All Christianity is growing in faith and getting free of the world's power. Now, what do we mean by the world? Let's start there and let's see how far we can get. While you're holding on to 1 John, we need to take a look at another passage that really describes this well in the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2 verse 1. Paul the Apostle says this, You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked. Everyone say formerly walked. This is what you used to be, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. Let's all say course of this world. He's going to describe what the course of this world is. Think about that for a moment. There's race courses. There's the course of a river. It's some kind of direction and track that something's running on. He says, When we were in sin, dead in trespass, the track and the pathway of this world, this cosmos, 
is what we walked after, and it's the track we were running on. It's called a highway that's broad that leads to hell, and most people are on it. Then he describes who's the author of the course of that world. According to the prince of the power of the air, all little peas. Who do you think that's talking about? Who is it? Let's say it. It's the devil. It's Satan, right? Of the spirit working in the sons of disobedience. The course of this cosmos, this globe, this world system, its philosophies, its culture, its nature, its words, its language, its actions, its activities, what it gives honor to, what it finds value in. This world is driven by disobedience to God. The course of this cosmos is driven by hell's power, and the aim of it is to become disobedient to heaven. Let that sink in for a moment. When you got born again, you were delivered from the power of that course and left its raceway. You departed from its path and got on a different path. Salvation doesn't come and bless you to live in the world and enjoy it and become drunk with it. It separates it from you. Salvation separates you from the power of the world. Among them too, we all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh. The lusts of our flesh. The lusts of our flesh. Our human flesh and our fleshly instincts, soulish desires, love to drink and to eat the things that this world's courseway is serving. And salvation comes and delivers you of the power of that and separates you out from it so that the power of God lives in you and you no longer find the withdrawal of that stuff a burden. Because indulging all that stuff hurts people. Indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind and we're by nature children of wrath as the rest. In other words, as we were on the courseway of hell, we were going down into it and wrath was coming to us upon us, like it's coming upon everyone else who's disobedient. I want to say this to you. Salvation does not give you license to remain disobedient. I want to say that one more time. Salvation delivers you from disobedience. It does not encourage it or look the other way while you do it. Salvation extracts disobedience out of your heart and out of your life and separates you from the courseway of the world that's eaten up with being disobedient to God. So many preachers are afraid of the word of God. They're afraid of it because they're afraid of the world's power and they have built churches that cannot confront it. Courtney's brother just told me recently in Kansas City that preachers tell him over and over again, we can't preach the Bible here anymore. He asked them, why don't you use the scripture? And they said, we can't use the scripture because it offends people. Offend. Offend away, man. Get the word of God out. Until the scripture comes out, people do not have a chance to be confronted and to believe. I couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe it. I'm like, my God, what do you mean we're afraid of the scripture? I want to offend the mind to reach the heart. The word of God has to somehow be put in the room to confront our disobedience and to tell us we're on the wrong course. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. Listen to this. For by grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Here's the thing. When the power of God comes to you, a thing called grace comes upon your life and gives you the ability to believe in God without it originating in your own human soul. Remember, he chose us first. God chooses you. You don't choose God. God chooses you, then you choose God. But it never entered the heart of man to look for God apart from God's grace getting involved. Grace is divine ability to choose God without it originating as your own human derelict self as the origin point. When I didn't know God, it never occurred to me to look for God. When I didn't know Jesus, I didn't think about Jesus. The Spirit of God got a hold of me and said, you need to think about him. Well, as I began to think about him and I began to read his word, I began to realize that I was in big trouble. I was dead in sin and on my way to hell. I was under the spirit of disobedience and I was living in the course of this world. And this is why when I got born again, I had to quit every single thing I was doing. The Lord said, if you're going to follow me, you need to stop all the derelict nature you live in. What about my rock and roll band? That's over. You're no longer in a rock and roll band. Pull your gear out, you're done. What about my girlfriends? You're done with them, you don't have girlfriends. You don't know girlfriends, you know me and all you have is me. What about college at that time? Nope, you don't go to college. You read my word until I tell you what to do next. And he began to disconnect me from the course of the world everywhere I was. He said, I've got to reroute you in my word so that you get on a different courseway and you have to get free of the drunken state you live in that you've been drinking the cup of the world your whole life. It is so easy in Christianity to be drunk on the world. We drink it, we drink it by the gallons and enjoy it and suck it in and then wonder why we don't have any power. The power of God doesn't come to give you the ability to love the world. It gives you the power to separate from it. We have to be in the world, but we can't be drunk on it, drunk on its power, drunk on its privileges, drunk on its goods, drunk on its perversion, drunk on its lewdness, drunk on its divisiveness and its hatred. The reason I can't even watch the news very much is I do not want to drink in the arguments and the debates about politics. These people are drunk. They're drunk with their bitterness. They're drunk with their hatred. They're drunk with their opinions. I'm like, you people are so disobedient. None of you know God or you wouldn't act like this. Get these people in a room, they'd kill each other. The spirit of murder is talking through them. These people are vividly, wildly disobedient. All of them, the whole lot. The Bible says this in 1 John, do not love the world nor the things of the world because if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I cannot become drunk on the world's power. Instead, I have to overcome the world's power. Let's go back to 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. You guys have to love God to listen to this kind of preaching. I just have to say that. God bless you. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, verse 3, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whoever is born of God overcomes the world. 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 I don't know how to say that enough. When you're born of God, you overcome the world. 
When you're born of God, you overcome the world. When you are born of God, you overcome the world. When you are born of God, the world no longer is your God. It no longer is your master. Its nature no longer is your nature. Its words are no longer your words. Its entertainment is not your entertainment. Its food is not your food. Its drink is not your drink. Its things are not your things. Its ways are not your ways. Salvation says, I overcome it. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. When you believe in Jesus, I want to say this very clearly. When you believe in Jesus, not when you believe in belief. I don't have faith in faith. And I'm not even talking about I have faith in God in some big construct. I'm talking about belief in Jesus Christ. Belief in Jesus. I don't have time to read it, but you're going to have to believe me that it says this. John chapter 16, verse 33 says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus said that. In this world, you will have trials and tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Who has overcome the world? Jesus Christ. And because Jesus has overcome the world and we have been born again through Jesus Christ, we are now more than conquerors. He's the first conqueror. We're added on to the conquering list. We couldn't have conquered unless he did, but because he did and won the big fight, won the big victory, went to the cross, died, went into the lower parts of the earth, rescued us from the power of death, hell, and the grave, rose from the dead. That was the big battle. Now we get to tag along the ride. We didn't have to do all that. He did. We are more than conquerors. He's the conquerors. We get to be added as conquerors. Glory to God. We are added to the conquering. We are added to the conqueror's title. We are added to the conquering list. So when you are born again, you overcome the spirit of disobedience. You do not live in it. You overcome it. You confront it and you get it out of your life. When you become born again, you leave the course of this world and you get out of it. Narrow is the way to eternity, to eternal life, and few find it. You get on a different path, and you do not live the old path in the new path. Satan's power was defeated at the cross and at the tomb. When Jesus rose from the dead, it was all over. My belief in that connects me directly to my ability to overcome those forces as well. If Satan's defeated then how come he seems to have so much influence, even upon Christians? Let me tell you why. Because all of his power is through deception alone. He truly is defeated. He truly is a broken force. He seeks to deceive us into thinking he is not. The test of your life for the rest of your life is going to come down to whether you believe that Jesus defeated him and then exert that authority and that victory upon Satan's power or succumb to it. And the difference between exerting power against it or believing in it and becoming captive to it is coming down to what you believe about Jesus Christ, your faith. What you believe about the church will not give you the ability to overcome the world. What you even believe about Christian worship songs will not give you the ability to overcome the world. What you believe about Jesus Christ will give you the ability to overcome the world. And it is the only thing that gives you the ability to overcome the world. So here's what's happening to all of us all day long, all the time. Satan, who prowls according to 
1 Peter chapter 5, like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour, is constantly on the prowl working on you through the course of this world. It's in your phone, it's in your iPad, it's in your laptop, it's at the mall, it's where you work, it's where you go to school, it's in your car, it's on the radio. It is constantly pumping itself into you and upon you to begin to redirect you back to disobedience. And your faith has to look at it for what it is and say, this is nothing more than a mirage and a lie. This is nothing more than a deception and a toothless battle and a toothless enemy who's trying to deceive me into something rather than me going with that lie. I have to step back through faith in Jesus Christ and see this as it really is. And then say no to it. When sin and disobedience are presented to you, one of two things happens. You either look at it and say, my God, it's real. Or you look at it and say, this is nothing more than a trap and a lie of hell that has nothing on the other side of it but deception. No, in the name of Jesus. I overcome you through faith in the Son of God. He defeated you. Last year, I went to Scandinavia, and we went to Sweden. Now, that sounds nice. Sweden's a beautiful country. Lots of mountains and waters, lovely houses, food. It's great. Except there was one little problem. I didn't go there for houses and food and mountains and waters. I went there to confront evil and set people free from its power. That's what we went there for. The real mission was to drive demon power out of people by bringing people into a faith in God that they didn't have before to finally choose God and overcome. Do you know how many places I go and my main job is to convince people they can overcome? I am constantly preaching the word of God to preach people into faith. This last trip in six cities and three countries, the whole trip was preaching people into faith. I felt like the whole time was I was trying to convince people that Jesus is who he says he is. And that they could actually believe him and get unstuck from the course of this world. There's nothing worse than to go to a church and see a bunch of people stuck in the course of this world, struggling with their constant disobedience and wondering if they're saved or not. Christians that are going in and out of disobedience in the spirit of the world, the spirit of the sons of disobedience, constantly cycling disobedience through their life is nothing more than a statement of the need for more faith in God. I want people to be free, man. I want people to be free. Disobedience will do nothing more than kill you. It'll take you apart. The spirit of disobedience that puts you back under the prince of the power of the air, that puts you back on the course of this world, is aimed at killing you. And I love you too much for that to happen to you. There's a ton of reasons to disconnect from God and to make God a backseat thing. My job, my education, my money, my relationships, my this, my that, that's all a big mistake. That does nothing more than put you as a target for deception with no power to resist it, and you get overcome. So I was in Scandinavia a year ago, and we had one little problem. Somehow all the demonic forces in that nation realized we were there and were not happy. And there was one day in particular where the pressure, I could feel pressure pushing in on my physical body, an invisible force trying to suck the life out of me, squeezing my head, squeezing my mind, squeezing my spirit. I felt like I was going to crash. And I had to stop and say, wait a minute. Wait a minute. 
All the hordes of hell in this country that hate us and hate the message we're bringing, I need to stop and realize one thing right now. I don't care how big you are. I don't care how many centuries you've been here. I don't care how many people you have under your power. You are an illusion. And even you have been defeated at the cross. And I refuse to surrender the mission to your pressure. You know what we did? We did a little thing called prayer in tongues. This is a commercial, a 60-second commercial while you all need to pray in tongues. I hate this dialogue of some people get it, some people don't. We don't need it. That's a farce. Everyone should get it and everyone needs it and we need to pray until you have it. Here's why. Jude 20 says, those who pray in the Spirit build up their most holy faith. What overcomes the world? Our faith. How do you get more faith? By reading the Word of God, which brings faith, and by praying in tongues. As I pray in the Holy Ghost, the Bible says my faith builds. And there are times where I have to believe in Romans 8.26 that says, I don't know how to pray as I ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession with groanings too deep for words. And when you're in Scandinavia and the hordes of hell don't want you to be there and to deliver people from the devil's power, and you feel like you're being crushed and you've got to resist the fact that it's an illusion pressing in on you, sometimes all you can do is say, close the door for a while. I'm going to pray in tongues until my faith overcomes the world. I'm going to pray in tongues until my faith rises to overcome the world that's pressing in on me. I'm going to read the word of God until faith arises in my heart to overcome the world. Because whatever you're doing, if you're a new Christian and you're trying to overcome looking at your phone or you're trying to go to a country and set people from hell's power, every person is in the next step of overcoming the world. As he is, so also are we in this world. Every person that's born again carries the mission of Jesus Christ, which is an overcoming mission. And first, I have to overcome it in my own life. I have to overcome temptation in my own life. I have to go to a deep enough place in my own life, in my own heart, in my own spirit to get free of the things that are putting me back in disobedience. I have to overcome disobedience before I can preach the gospel to set them free from disobedience. Until I've overcome hell's power, I don't have the strength to overcome it for other people and get them out of it. The sons of Sceva found that out in the book of Acts. They were a group of people that thought they would do exorcisms. The problem was they hadn't overcome the course of this world. So when they tried to drive it out of the demon-possessed person, he tore them and rent them to pieces. Why were they able to do that? Because he had not overcome himself through their own faith. So when they begin to confront it in other people, those demons just tore them apart. I have seen this in my own life where I was praying for people. Someone stepped up, thought they'd cast out a devil, and this demonized person lunged on them and nearly ran them out of the house. And the difference was that person had not overcome the world themselves. Their own faith was not strong enough to get past their own sin to let alone confront it in someone else. If I'm going to be like Jesus in the world, I'm going to have to love Jesus enough to overcome Satan's power. And that starts with me believing in the work done at the cross was real enough that when I look at sin, when I look at its disobedience, I say, this is not real. It's not real. It's not real. Jesus is real. And the devil says, oh, no, Jesus is invisible somewhere in heaven, but this, this thing right in front of you is real. This can of whatever, this rolled-up paper with substance in it, this thing, this picture of something on your phone, that's real. That's real. 
you need this now. Whenever I would disciple people, they would say, well, you know that thing I just went and did? I just needed to blow off a little steam. That raunchy thing I just got involved in, you don't understand the pressure I was under, and I just needed a little break. Yeah, to quote a famous preacher, the devil heard you say that, and he'll just let you off some steam right into hell. I overcome the world through Jesus Christ. You overcome the world through Jesus Christ. You were born again to overcome the world. Whatever is beating on you right now, it's a demonic lie. Depression isn't real. You may think it's real. It's a demonic power. It's evil. The source of it's evil. Anxiety, the source of it isn't the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not come and make you anxious. Paul said, be anxious for nothing. With prayer and supplication, make your request known unto God. And the God that, uh, that, that gives peace, that passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Sometimes I have to look at all kinds of things, illness, lack of finances, all these things that are coming against me and say, this is not real. Jesus' victory at the cross is real. And my faith in that victory is going to overcome this lie. Really quiet in here right now. My faith in Jesus is going to overcome this lie. Constantly showing hell and its power, I am not on the course of this world. You know what would torment the demonic power that rules over this area? If they saw a bunch of Christians that refused their course. That kept saying, what you're doing is deception. It's not real. You have no real power. Your power is only real when you talk me into it. The devil is constantly working and speaking in the atmosphere and broadcasting its message. The prince of the power of the air. He's working in the atmosphere and he's speaking to you. And he only has ability to have impact upon you when you start listening to it and believing it. And you have authority over it when you stop listening to it and realize that's a defeated force, it's a defeated source, and it's not trustworthy, I'm going to disconnect. How do you do that? You have to focus on God. Because nobody is strong enough in their own human spirit to disconnect from evil without choosing God. No one's that great. You cannot make yourself become righteous without God's power. You cannot overcome that force speaking to you without the power of God. You know why we come to this building on Sunday mornings and lift our hands and cry out to God? Because I need to go somewhere and join with other people where I worship God long enough to unhook from that voice and to reconnect to the presence of God and power of God so that I start listening to the right things and I start believing in the right person and stop listening to what's speaking to me all week. This is why Hebrews 10.25 says this, let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, which is the habit of some people. There are some people, you'll never get them to church. Not interested, don't care, yeah. The Bible says don't be like those people. But encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. What day? Either the day of your leaving of this earth or the day of Jesus' return. I need to be with the people of God. So just in case I was tempted to go follow the course of this world, my brother comes along or my sister comes along and says, Tom, 
That's not who you are. That's not what we are. We believe in Jesus. We've been born again. We don't give in to this stuff. We don't go and follow after these things and give ourselves to worthlessness. Come back to the cross. Come back to God and get your life before God again. Don't chase off after these things. Stay in your marriage. Stay in your relationships. Stay pure. Don't defile yourself. Don't defile your house. Don't give yourself to stuff that has no power. Get back over here and get at this altar and cry out to God and get free from the illusion of hell's voice. And it takes great humility to humble myself in the presence of God and admit that I need him like that. Pride says, you don't need to do that. You can just sit here and check it out. No, I want to be at the front on my knees with my hands raised saying, God, do everything you have to do to get me out from underneath of the world's power. Get me out from underneath this delusion. Get me out from underneath this courseway. I want to get into faith. Amen? Can I ask you something? How many of you believe this? How many of you heard the word of God and said, it's the truth? Come on, it's the truth, isn't it? Right? It is. I'm just preaching what you would if you had the mic. I'm doing it for you. Can I ask us to do something before we go? Can we stand to our feet and cry out to God and exert our victory of faith over every lie of hell working on us and stand before God and say, Lord, I believe you. I love you. I trust you. I put my confidence in you. I put my hope in you. I resist the awful temptation and the delusions of sin. I choose the love of God. I choose the truth of God. I choose the power of God. We resist the devil. The Bible says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Resist the devil and he will flee. The book of James says that. Today we resist him and his powers. And we surrender to God with everything that is in us. And today we become overcomers. We become overcomers in the name of Jesus. Every illusion that's coming to us that doesn't agree with Scripture. Right now, Lord, show us where those things are, even if we haven't known it yet. May the power of the Holy Spirit shine light on our lives and show us what we've believed that's been a lie so that in your presence we can disconnect from it and give ourselves to you wholly. The name of Jesus. Fill us with your Spirit, Lord. Today we become overcomers. Today we become overcomers. The name of Jesus. Lord, I pray that your presence right here would come. The grace of the Lord Jesus that would come and give us the ability to believe. Give us the ability to believe even when we don't know how. Lord, sometimes battles are so big and they seem so awful that it's hard to accept that it really is an illusion. It sure seems to look real. And to put our confidence in the Son of God above and beyond what we feel like we need to do is one of the hardest things a human can make, hardest decisions we can make. But today, Lord, we choose you we agree with the people of God in the Bible who had great faith. 
that when they faced every circumstance that said it was over, they believed and hoped against hope. And they held on to truth. And they received the things that were promised, even though everything in the world said it would never happen. Abraham was told he would have a child where everything in his life said he wouldn't. And he overcame. Noah was told it would rain and God would judge the world and it took a hundred years. And he had to overcome all the unbelief and every obstacle and all the ridicule and the mocking of the world in that day. But he overcame. People had to be driven out and live as aliens and strangers looking for a hope and a city that God was building and went through lonely seasons and terrible valleys, but they overcame. All through church history, men and women faced great conflict and great trial, and the devil did everything he could to them to get them to surrender their faith, and they wouldn't. They died in faith, and they went to prisons, and they went to countries, and they went to cities and to places and endured hardship because they believed and they overcame. Lord, we refuse to be drunk on the world and to go along with it in some new 21st century version of Christianity that says we can somehow be drunk on the world, drink its cup and enjoy it and have some form of serving God and be good with it. Making room for sin, making room for disobedience and compromise. Lord, we resist the lie of that in the name of Jesus. The evidence of our faith, Lord, is that we overcome, not that we walk along in agreement and be nice about it and tolerate it. Today, we're not tolerating evil in our lives. We're not letting it be here and petting it. In the name of Jesus, God, would you come and work deep in our hearts and make us overcomers? Make us overcomers, Lord, so that our children can overcome, our marriages can overcome, our futures will be full of overcoming. Our destiny will be full of overcoming. Our present will be full of overcoming. Lord, we're asking you to come and help our faith. Stir our faith, O oh God. The Bible says, for by grace we say are saved through faith. Grace helps us have faith. Reading the word of God stirs our faith. Prayer in the spirit stirs our faith. Lord, in the name of Jesus, cause faith to arise. Cause faith to arise. Let faith arise and make us an overcoming people in the name of Jesus. We resist right now unbelief in every form of it. Every form of unbelief that says God isn't going to come through, that says God isn't real, that says we need to put our trust elsewhere. Lord, right now we surrender that. We surrender it and we say, God, we believe in you. We believe in you and we put our trust in you. Our faith overcomes the world today. Our faith overcomes the lie of the devil. The faith of, in Jesus Christ that's born in our hearts through salvation overcomes the world. It overcomes the world in the name of Jesus. Every lie that says God is not faithful, we resist you today in the name of Jesus. It casts you down. That's the spirit of disobedience speaking to us through the prince of the power of the air. We refuse his voice. We refuse his voice and we refuse his lie. And today we put our confidence in God's word. We believe what the Bible says. We are overcomers. We are overcomers. A few more moments, this is cry out. This is the cry of the overcomer. It's the prayer of the overcomer. Whatever news you were dealt this week,
that says to you, all your hopes are gone. It's a lie. We put our faith in God. God is bigger than the lie. The prince of the power of the air is trying to keep us out of something. He cannot hold on forever. The course of this world is not in charge of this world. God owns this world. The earth belongs to the Lord in the fullness thereof, the Bible says. Lord, you own the globe. The devil's a squatter, and he only has power through deception. Today, we believe today, you own the world, and you own everything in it, and you are able to do anything you want to in it. Today, we believe you, God, in the name of Jesus. We believe in the name of Jesus. We believe in God. We believe God's word. We believe. Sometimes we seem to say it out loud. I believe God. I believe. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the word of God. I believe in the truth of the scripture. The spirit of God in me is crying out. Yes, we are overcomers. You are overcomers. We are overcomers. The power of God's moving here. The Lord just put this scripture in my heart. I'm just going to read it. 1 Corinthians 10. Verse 13 says this, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. He says, no temptation that's coming to you that's befalling you, that all men face, is going to own you. God is faithful to you and will not allow you to go beyond what you can take. But even though the enemy, with his common to the world perspective, throws temptation on you, God provides a way of escape so that you can endure. And the Bible says those who endure to the end are saved. Temptation that's common to man does not have to overtake you. God provides a way of escape. And the way of escape is through Jesus Christ. He said of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus Christ is the way maker. He's the chain breaker, and he's the one who receives us into glory and breaks the power of the common temptation over man so that the ruler of this world is judged and no longer has authority over us, but we have authority over him. Through the powerful name of Jesus Christ, 